0: Okay, everybody. So thank you so much to all of our sponsors. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we, we thank Jonathan and Tamar Miller, who sponsored the series, dedicated this whole series in memory of Ted and Pauline Miller, Zechernem uh, Levracha. We thank our sponsors for the month, Nate Malka and Avi Sternberg, sponsored in honor of the Zechus of Living in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, also, of course, Le'ilui Nishmas and Nachum Shimon ben Rabbi Yitzchak his grandchildren and, and, uh, and his children. And, uh, and also by the Feigenbaum family, Elui Nishmas, our friend, Chaimi Sahar ben Yechiel Zeidel Dov, Zechor no and Zeshama should have an Aliyah. I also thank our weekly sponsors, um, who, who sponsored memory of Ezra ben Simchalea, Zechor on his first Yortsein, husbands of Shoshana D- <laughs> Dabush and father of Leora Ashman and Nathan Dabush, made Zeshama have an Aliyah. And our daily sponsor, Chani uh, Maslow who's uh, sponsored a memory of her father, Shemun Leib Abram Yisrael, Avraham, Okay, so welcome back, everybody. It was exciting to, to be learning together again. And I think uh, it's good. We all need, we, we need to be learning Torah together. It's been a hard, a hard very hard few weeks. And uh, when we learn Torah, especially the Torah of Tanakh, which is, the blueprint for our time, it gives us strength to, to, to deal with the times that we're living in now. When we recognize that there is, it's, it's not by, these things aren't by chance, we don't understand them, but that there is a God in the world and there is a planet. There have been very difficult, very, very painful, difficult times before in the past. Uh, so when we learn these things and, and we we're able to put our current situation in context, uh, and that is something I know, I, when I was talking with, uh, with uh, Rav Leo, uh, just last week, and this is something that gives him a lot of strength and a lot of comfort when he's able, to, he's able to put his personal horrific tragedy in the context of Jewish history, in the context of Tanakh, and where we're going. It's a tremendous uh, chizuk for him and comfort for him, and so it is for all of us. Now, I, I thought about diving right in into the, next, into the next chapter, but the truth is, I thought it was important that we take a week, one class, to try to frame this, the, the, the next, not, not only this series, but it could be the next few. The, the, the situation of David HaMelech, where he becomes an outlaw, uh, and he, where he's forced to flee, where he's running, 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 suffering one thing after another. Uh, I thought it was important that we try to put it into context to try to understand the meaning of all of this, uh, according to Chazal, to the Mepharshim, what they all have to say about David HaMelech. Because that'll enable us, as we go through the actual story itself in the coming weeks, it'll help us understand it and to put it into context. Uh, but, but if there's anything that defines the, the life of David Amelech, it's that it wasn't easy. Right? David Amelech had it, I mean, a lot of Jews had it tough, and a lot of people in Tanakh had it tough, but David Amelech had a really tough. Um, so if you look at number one, right, here he is in Tehillim, and unlike anybody else in Tanakh, right, nobody else has a safer Tehillim, you know? So David tells us how he feels, in every which way, right? And, and, and it's really amazing. He opens up his heart to us uh, in a way that we don't know with Yaakov Avinu, right? We know the stories of Yaakov Avinu, right? We know here and there the, the emotion that comes out, katonti mikol Hasadim, right? Yonatan Rezel brought that to life for us. Um, but it's a, it's a Pasuk here, it's a Pasuk there. With David HaMelech, we talk about, I mean, the tehillim, the, the depth, the emotion, that we, there's so much there to mine. Um, so here in this passage It was not an enemy that taunted me, And then I, that I could have borne, I could have dealt with that. i alai higdil, nor was it my adversary that magnified himself against me. I could have hid myself from him. But who was it? It was you, my of somebody who is my equal, my companion, my friend. Right? When somebody who's your friend turns on you. Right, that 's so much more painful than somebody who's always your enemy he 's talking about Shaul HaMelech. right and this is the pain that we 're going to be beginning with uh, really in a more in depth way beginning next week uh, but, but it 's important with David HaMelech not just to read the stories but also to try to pause as we go through the stories and to 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 think about how he must have felt at those moments right that it would, like you could just go through the stories right and then you know it, it happened a long time ago and we kind of know what happens later on. So we're reviewing it. Oh, that's an interesting point. Oh, the Radak says this. Oh, the Ralbag says that. And you, and you can forget to pause and to realize, oh my goodness, this man is going through hell. And he has no idea what's going to happen in the future. Right? He doesn't know how the story is going to end. We always have to remind ourselves of that. Right, David is crying out here. Why, why are the people who I, 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 I love them and... I was their friend and they loved me and they were my friend. And, and all of a sudden they're turning on me, want to kill me. And I, I, it's hard to imagine what that must have been like, what he must have experienced. Right? There, there's some real questions here. Right? Why did God arrange for David HaMelech to be called to Shaul's service to play music? If you remember that from our last series, right? out of all the millions of, of Israelites in mm-hmm. the world, right? in the land of Israel, he's the one that got called in to play? Clearly, it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Why did God have Yishai, David's father, send David to the battlefield where he then volunteers to fight Goliath? He wasn't even there. He wasn't part of the army. He was still a kid at home taking care of sheep. And his father had several sons at home, but he sent David and not the others. How did that, why did that happen? Right? Why does God make David go through this terrible persecution from Shaul? And it could have happened in a much easier way. Right, it didn't, it didn't have to be this way. Right? Why not allow Shaul to decline, to get old? And then just as he's dying, then, you know, David can be anointed and he can get up and take his place. But instead, Shaul HaMelech is is a tall, strapping, strong man, right? In, in his early 50s, right? Which is, uh, I mean, I guess if he was Nikki Haley, he'd be over the hill, but... You know, but, uh, you know, 52 years old, right, about his age, that, that wasn't exactly very old. He was tall, he was strong, he was a warrior, and now you're going to anoint David HaMelech? You're asking? Hashem was asking for trouble, right? Meaning this was part of David HaMelech's destiny. Why did it have to be this way? But the truth is, his entire life, both before this and after this, right, not just our the, the period of his life that we're focusing on for these next few weeks, um, his entire life is... is is defined by suffering. He's rejected and scorned by his family, as we talked about. Right? He has a brief moment of popularity after he kills Goliath, but then he's almost immediately made into public enemy number one. Almost immediately. It didn't last very long. And then even after Shaul dies and we move into, into Shmuel Bet, the second half of the story, right? Even after that, he suffers terribly, right? His son rapes his daughter. His son kills his son. His son rebels against him and almost kills David, but then he gets killed. Right, the son gets killed, and on and on and on and on. Right, it's one suffering after another for the rest of David's life. Right, if you look at number two, number three, David Kolotan Hayubitzarot VeAmel. Right, the midrash says his entire seventy years were filled with suffering. Right, and then the next one, Midrash Shochertam Shimi Tuga, my soul drips from agony. Min Hashvarim Sheba'u Alai. Right? Ein shana she ain Shanash ain Bashever, ain Chodesh ain ain Yom Hoy al Hoy. David says, right, for all these disasters that are overwhelming me, there's not one year that goes by without some terrible calamity. There's no month without bad news, no day without misfortune, right? It's all Hoy, you know, woe on top of woe. Right? This is the life of David Hamelech, and clearly it's not an accident. It's very obvious that it's not an accident. Right, just to remember this, right? this is, I, I can't get this pasuk out of my mind I think I've put it in like five or, five or six different source sheets, it's just crazy to me Pesach Shmuel at Karen Hashem Shmuel takes that horn, the Karen of oil, not the Pach which is what we, he used to anoint, uh, anoint Shaul, because that was temporary but here the Karen, the great glory of Israel, right? this is the, one of the great moments in Jewish history this pasuk, right, 1613, right here Right, when David Hamelech, Malka Meshicha is Moshe, right? He he is ma, becomes Masuach. He becomes anointed. Right here, it happens. Bekeru v'chav in front of his brothers, and Aruach Hashem comes down upon David. Mehayomahu v'amala, from this day onwards. Talk about one of the most important moments, a turning point in all of Jewish history. Shmuel gets up and he leaves. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. I can't get over that pasuk. He just gets up and he leaves. No, no words, no rousing words, no emotion. Think about all the speeches, the big, beautiful speeches he said with Shaul. And when Shaul was anointed, I mean, there's so, there was so much. There were, we went through a few chapters. Here we get, we get like one phrase in one Pasuk to describe Shemuel and David after he anoints him. Right? He just picks up and walks away, leaving David in tremendous confusion. All right, a moment probably of great happiness. And then all of a sudden he looks around and he sees his brothers hating him. Because for sure they hated him, right? As we talked about, the jealousy, right? And, and, and confusion. Now all of a sudden his life is in danger, right? When you anoint a king while there's another king, right? What are you asking for? Right? You're, you're asking to become a fugitive. Why would Shmuel do this? But of course he does this all al Hashem. So what's going on? We have, like, it's this, this suffering seems to be very intentional, right? There's no, there's no guidance, no explanation as to when he might become king. It's all left... Shrouded in darkness, Mishlei Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So what does this mean? So says the Medrash that a uh, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. Zed David shach who was anointed umalach kamashanim. Right, and he and he only becomes king many years after he's anointed. Right. This is a hope deferred. The whole thing, right? He couldn't have gone a day. And now we, it doesn't talk about it in the pasuk. Like maybe we forget about it as we're reading the stories of David and Shaul. But for David and Melech himself, could a day have gone by? Could an hour have gone by where he wasn't terrified that maybe Shaul would find out about what happened? And did, why would God anoint me and then walk away? Right? The confusion that he must have gone through. What, what is this all about? What is happening here? Right? The stress that he was under. Right. What's clear is that Hashem acting through Shmuel HaNavi intended for David's path to the throne to be messy and to be complicated and to be hard. Right. He purposely does not give David guidance or clarity. It's fascinating how Hashem runs the world. Well, Are I think that, you, that Shmuel kind of knew this? He knew more than he let on? Like, well, Shmuel is the Navi. David is not the Navi. Right. Um, and like When he goes and he does this thing and he's like, Okay, I'm out of here. You know, you're on your own. <laughs> right. Right. Now, now, could it be that, that, that Shmuel, out of, out of fear for himself, that he picks up and leaves because he's also in danger for doing this? It's possible, but hard to believe, right? Meaning Hashem could have sent David a message any way he wanted, but he didn't. And he purposely left it hazy and confused, right? He left it un- uncertain. Right, but I'm asking, do you think that, is there reason to think that Shmuel knew more? Yes. So as we'll see, I think not, not next week, the week after. There is one more meeting between David and Shmuel, which is a very, very significant meeting. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on that. But uh, right, we, the, the, the silence that we get here, right, there, there's a fixing a little bit later on, but we'll see, you know, but, but that, that's, there's a significant amount of time in between these two meetings. Do you think Shmuel just got up and left because he was never a fan of the idea of having a king? He kept warning the people and then he accepted it and enveloped it. And then it flopped. And he's like, dayenu. And just, leaves. I mean, it could be. I, I think w- w- we talked about this a little bit last time, which is that, Sh- that Shmuel had a real, re- very close relationship to Shaul, right? The opposite of uh, love is not, is not hate, right? It's indifference, right? He was not indifferent when Shaul sinned and crashed and burned. He was heartbroken and shattered and furious, which means he loved Shaul deeply because we only get that, you know, get that angry when somebody that you love disappoints you. So, you know, he was, he was clearly, he, right, so why would he love Shaul but not, David? it's like strange, right? Sha'ul is, it's, Shaul is the temporary king. David is Malcolm Meshicha. And, and yet <coughs> Shmuel is drawn to Shaul and gave him the support. He didn't give it to David, right? It's all, it's all very hard to understand. Uh, number seven, right? So this is a pasuk in Yishaya. Come, my people, enter into your chambers. And shut your door. The doors behind you. And hide yourself for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Right? There's something going on outside. Quickly get inside. Close the doors before you know as it passes. So, when I read this plastic for the first time, I thought of the, the story of my parents about when they really met, which was during, you know, they met. The first time didn't go so well. It was in a car, whatever. It was brief. And the second time was during a riot in the University of Buffalo, and the cops were coming and chasing and beating everybody. So, that everybody's running away from the cops, and they get to a, to a fence. My father helps my mother over the fence, right? And then everybody keeps running. Then my mom was was they were running by happened to be her dorm building so they duck in and she like says come with me and like the whole crowd and the cops beating people continue so they go and then they go upstairs to her dorm room she wasn't religious but she was very modest so she left the door open you know and she made him a <laughs> cup of tea right but like the as the za'am, as the indignation the fire the beer right all the craziness is flowing by outside. Right? They're sitting inside, come and shut the, you know, not don't shut the door, but, you know, come and sit and have a cup of tea. Right? Uh, so, so, what is the meaning of this, though, for us? So, says the Yalkut Shemoni, Le'cha uh, mi babucha Right? Come, my people, enter your chambers. Al ta'amod keneged hasha. Right? There, sometimes there are dark things that are happening in the world, and you can't stop them. Don't stand up against, you know, against the hour. Right? Against what's happening out there. Sometimes, this is, you can call this Hester Panim and when Hashem turns his face there's a, you know these are these are the things we talk about when we talk about the holocaust right that rabbi lamb has a very beautiful teaching on hashem was hiding his face right and moments like this right don't try to stop it la <laughs> you have to you have to allow certain things evil things happen in the world anina tati makom right so right i i also right i've i've given you know, the opportunity for these things to occur. Right, bad things have happened. Avraham Barak, Nimrod. Avraham had to run away from Nimrod, right, in the whole furnace of fire. Yitzchak, bipnei Plishtim. Yitzchak from the Plishtim. Yaakov, bipnei Asav, yet to run away. Moshe, bipnei Paro. David, bipnei Shaul, bipnei Avshalom Bino. Right, David had to run away from Shaul and mm-hmm. Avshalom Bino. This is built in, is what Hashem is saying, right? The Medrash is saying here it's not because David did something wrong. Right, but rather this was part of the plan. This darkness was part of the plan, right? So, and then when it says, "Bo <coughs> come into the, come inside." look in, inside of your heart. Why am I bringing these this suffering upon you? It doesn't mean maybe it's your fault, but maybe not, right? With, later on, David, some of his suffering comes from his sin with Bathsheba. Right, that's very clear that he's punished for that. But other suffering that David goes through, there was to no, due to no fault of his own. So, and you can imagine that how David inside of him, inside of himself is struggling. Is it because I've done something wrong? Do I really, maybe I deserve this? Or maybe this is just part of God's plan, a plan that I don't, I'm not privy to understand, right? Which one is it? And, and I think we've all had this probably in our lives where we, if we're at all reflective people, we wonder why am I going through this right now? And we're not sure. Maybe I deserve it, right? Or maybe this is just part of God's plan for me. It's one of the great difficulties, the struggles of suffering. And that, that itself is a suffering, the uncertainty that happens inside. I, I think it's in, um, in Da'as Tavunos, the Ramchal, talks about that. Because he talks about the two different, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this, but the two different ways Hashem runs the world. Sometimes it's because of our choice, but sometimes it's just because that's God's plan. And it, you didn't do anything wrong. But the uncertainty, because we're not prophets, and what that means for us, right, that itself, that's incredibly painful. That, that, just that struggle is hard, is very, very painful. So for David, we can only imagine how hard it was to process all of this, right? And think about the psukim that he says in Tehillim. Ma Hashem, How great are your works, Hashem. Your thoughts are very, very deep. Right, you're deeper than than we are. You, right, you, we can't understand your ways. lo Lamta mod. the counsel of Hashem, Hashem's wisdom will stand forever. Mach Shavosi vador, the thoughts of his heart to all generations that will last. Right, David has these moments of, of recognition that he's not the one in charge. Um, now David living through the events may not have understood why he had to suffer, but I think that we with the perspective of hindsight, because that's what Tanakh is, right? That's the difference. They lived it and we're reading it. We're learning it. Now, we're also living it in the sense that we are writing our own chapter of Tanakh, right? This, is, uh, this came up and my, my brother was talking about this at uh, my niece's Sheva Brachos a week ago, right? That, that we, and it's true, we talk about this. This comes up in conversation periodically. I mean, we are really writing. Now that we're back in the land of Israel, the pause, the exile pause, right, has stopped, is over. And we're, now we're writing new chapters in Tanakh. We're writing our own Torah, right? That's like, like, there's a whole Torah about this with Megillah's Esther, right? It's a Megillah that right? each of us, is, we're all writing a Megillah. One day we're going to have those scrolls, right? Our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are going to look back and read about what we went through, right? But, you know, but we, looking back at David HaMelech, even though he couldn't understand, we're, we are given Tanakh specifically so that we should try to understand, Um. So why does David have to suffer in this way? Why is this critical to God's plan, right? That's, that's the question that we have to grapple with tonight. So on a very simple level, and I don't think this is the best answer, but there's definitely some truth to it, right? I believe that David was meant to learn something from Shaul, right? Would it have been easier to become the king after Shaul, right, dies, Yes, it had nothing to do with Sha'ul. It would have been infinitely easier. But being there with Sha'ul and all of the suffering that he went through, right, taught him something tremendous. Right? He learned from the good of Sha'ul. Anybody remember, what was his defining trait, Sha'ul HaMelech? We can't forget, because it's going to be very negative the next few weeks. His love of Israel, right? His willingness to sacrifice and to fight and defend the people of Israel. But he all, was like self-effacing. Like- his extreme modesty. Now, he, it went too far, his modesty. He wasn't strong enough to, to stand up to the people. But there's there an awesome holiness there, right, that Shaul HaMelech had. Right, there's plenty that he, could, that, he, that he could learn, even from Shaul and his decline. On the other hand, right, this experience taught David also how not to be king. He had a firsthand, you know, he was a witness, you know, right? He was the front row seat to what not to do as king. How not to be the king of Israel, watching the decline of Shaul HaMelech and seeing all the dangers that could come from that, right? So, so there, there certainly was a tremendous education. Now, it came at a very, very high price, a price that's still too – it doesn't explain how high this price had to be. Um, and So I don't think it answers this question in a satisfactory way fully, but I think there really is a truth here. Right? I guess this is sort of like to put it in, in modern-day terms. You know, do you want to be the guy who takes over for the rabbi – after the, the rabbi is, you know, 68 and forced to retire, right? And then he's out and then you come and you, you, uh, you try out, you win and, oh, okay, you're the new rabbi. Or do you want to first be the assistant rabbi and get persecuted by the rabbi for several forever. years before you become, you know, before, and then they chase you out because the rabbi isn't happy with you, right? Because you're threatening him, right? And then they chase you until eventually you come back and you can become the rabbi. And there's pluses and minuses to both. Okay. Also in uh, the perspective of... Not hindsight. speaking from personal experience. <laughs> the perspective of hindsight, we know that Shogul dies, dies at war. And he yeah. doesn't die of old age but died in sickness. So in theory, you know, we, we were talking before about how he was in the peak of his of his career. Why bring him in now? It's not like an anointing uh, an obvious successor. You anoint an obvious successor. Okay, you wait till the first one dies and then you anoint the next one. Here, if... Had David the, the be not been anointed at some point, maybe not years before, but at some point before the death of Shaul, then there would have been calamity among Am Israel of who would be the successor. Who would be the next one? Because it might have automatically gone to one of Shaul's sons. But, and it did. Yeah. It, it did ultimately. Right. But, <laughs> right. Ishposhet. Right, right. We get there. But mm-hmm. yes. I mean, the fe- the Shaul and his, the son who would have become king, Yonatan. Right. Right. The man who you would think would become king. Both of them died together in battle. and It, it is interesting. Um, so it maybe explains to some degree, but uh, it's still hard to understand why David had to suffer the way that he did. Right. I mean, because of Shaul chased him, right, let's just, just one thing to think ahead, right? It, it, the Pasuk just says simply that, Sha, that that David took his father and his mother and his family and brought them to Moab for safekeeping. Because if Shaul is trying to kill him, right, so then his, his family's at risk. And then, you know, later on, we find him battling Moab. Chazal tell us that Moab turned on his family, murdered Yishai, murdered his mother, murdered all of his brothers except for one, right? This was not, you know, you talk about, you know, it's not just a little slap on the wrist, you know, it was a hard time. The rabbi was, senior rabbi wasn't so nice to the assistant rabbi, made him speak between minhamar of an extra night or something, you know? <laughs> this, was, uh, this was serious, right? This was suffering of, of a very, very high level, right? So it's still, like, we need to understand that, that in, a, in a deeper, deeper way. No, because of the suffering, ah. Like the Gemara says, kos, kos to the and Dov like, "I'm going to be the one that's going to be doing it because of my suffering. I still had the Muna. Like he would, we wouldn't have to heal him, maybe." Because ah, of... all right, you're amazing. So let's. That's a. You're like Mechaving. So let's, let's, let's take a look at number five. So Tanya Rabbi Shema Ben Yochai, Rabbi Shema Ben Yochai, Ben. Yo, I'm sorry, number eleven. Brachos five day. Uh, Rabbi Yochai says, God gave three great precious gifts to the people of Israel, but they were all given, but it's only through suffering. Torah, Eretz Israel, and Olam Haba. Right, these are all things you have to suffer over in order to acquire. Right? Now, these are not punishments. Right? They're not at all punishments. Right? It has nothing to do with Onesh. It's anything great, the greatest things have to be, in a sense, you have to suffer for them. That's how Hashem seems to have made the world. Now, why did he make it that way, right? So that you appreciate, right? If something comes to you just easily... Yeah, whatever. And you don't, you don't appreciate it, but if you have to work for something, yeah, working is not the same thing as suffering. Right. Suffering just, is suffering is next level. Right. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a different. It's a different level. We're not talking about little things. We're talking about Torah, Eretz Yisrael, and Al These are big things. So these are the biggest things, right? So so says uh, says the measure number twelve. Ksav Hashem Tzadik Ivchan V'Rasha Ve'Ohev Chamas <laughs> Anan Nafsho. Right. So uh, Hashem tests the righteous. Right. And. Uh, <clears throat> ivhan right, but not the russia not the one who uh who who the evil person such a person is sanaatshoh nafsho. Hashem detests them right but he only tests the righteous and he detests right, the, uh, the 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 sinful the evil right it says Rabbi Yonatan, the, this uh this artist i guess right the, this uh creator he only tests right if he he doesn't test a jug which is shaky, which is, uh, you're not going to test it, whack it to see if it's, because it'll shatter in your hands, right? If you know that it's not built well, right? You hit it once and the whole thing shatters. So who does Hashem test? Right, the good jugs, the strong jugs. And if you hit them several times, they're not, they don't break. Im Hashem only tests the righteous, not the evil. Right? Hashem is testing. So still, why is Hashem testing through this suffering? Right? You might say, okay, I think I'd rather be not so righteous. And not get tested. I right? mean, that would be better. Right? I don't need this suffering. Let, let somebody else take it. Right? So it says, that He says, most people, by nature, right, don't reach their potential they don't reach their full potential right it's hard it's very, very hard to reach one's full potential. except the only way it can happen is, to it's only after right, tremendous tests and, and rebukes the surim Kashim and great suffering only then. Do they reach, can they reach their potential? L'zea mar David, v'zo Torah ta'adam ha'shem alokim. Right, so this is the Torah of man, says David. Gidei hu yitparach asat ha'adam alzea ha'opet. This is how God made man. Sh'raoi lo mit Torah ta'adam lekabel Hatlaota Um ha'avot. Ba'avu hatovot ha'gadolot ha'hatidot. Ki hu mahut ha'bekhira enoshit v'tiv'ah safik. So he says, right, God made it in such a way so that people should have to deal with painful things now in order to receive good things in the future. Because this is what creates choice. It gives us the ability to choose. If it's easy, there's nothing to choose. It's by, it, because it's so difficult and painful. And if you can still somehow go on, if you can still somehow do what you're meant to do in this life and overcome Right? It makes you, you become that much greater. It, it forces you to dig deeper into your potential and turn that potential into actual. Right? It's something that would never happen if, you're, you know, if your life is, is very easy and relaxed and all you do is watch Netflix at night. Right? If that's your whole life, right? there's not so much that's pushing you, forcing you to, to pull out the potential within. It says, uh, says the Tefer Shlomo. I have to thank Chaim David. Anytime I quote the Tefer Shlomo. I once uh, ran a concert for Chaim David, so as a thank you, he took out, he gave me his beat up copy of the Tefer Shlomo highlight, which is actually very sweet, you know, it's much better than a new copy, right? I learned from him, that's why when I gave away like 300 books before we left Livingston, there's no room here in this country for anything, right? So when I gave away those books, so I was like, let me look, you know, better to like have it with underlined and my name, you know, like is something, and then you write a little note to the, to the, to the college student. It's like, very meaningful. It's very beautiful. That was all Chaim David. So Chaim David, you know, through the, so the Tifer Shlomo, through Chaim David taught me, <laughs> It's through this, this suffering, where right, I can come a great good for B'nai Yisrael. Shazachu madrego malaha el Yona, right? Which merits through this suffering to go up in Madrego, right? And it says mina meitzar karatika, not even merchavka. Of course, the line we know, we, we all know this from Tehilim, also of course from David HaMelech, that from a narrow place, right? It says al yedeshayiti Bemetzar. because I was in a meitzar, mina meitzar, I was in a narrow, difficult, painful place, anani liyot bemerchav right? I, Hashem answers me and then I become a much greater and broader person, right? It's because I went through the Metzar. right? That's what made me into who I am. The It brings me to a much higher place than I was before. Nobody, right? That's the ironic thing of life, is that nobody wants the suffering, and yet it's the suffering that makes us great. Mm-hmm. Rav Cook says this also, I I'm just remembering it now, but when he talks about, there are several stories of rabbis who are sick in Gemara Bracho, so in his Einaya. He talks about how one illness, one bad illness over the course of like a couple months can help a person potentially, can make them grow more than, than, than maybe 50 years of life, of regular life, normal, healthy life. Nobody wants that. And we say, Hashem Yerachim, God forbid, right? And then we want, and when they have it, we want them to get better as quickly as possible. Refua Sholema, right? Meheira, right? And yet he says the one mahala can make a person you know can bring a person to a whole other level um, in a secular lahavdil sense uh, leo uh, tolstoy in his uh, his he, in one of his famous uh, short stories the death of ivan Illich. anyone ever, ever anyone ever read that story it's good because war and peace is really way too long <laughs> anna karenina i mean come on right you can like use that as a pillow if it wasn't so hard. It's like, it's so mint, but right? the death of Ivan, you know, Illich is, you know, was 30 pages. Yeah, we can all handle that. So, it's good. so that's a good one, but there it talks about, it. it's all about this, like this mindless, you know, nobody bureaucrat in, in Russia, right? And there's the czarist uh, system in the 1800s, you know, total, you know, you think about the worst of Israeli bureaucracy. So that's basically what we're talking about. He just lived his regular life, no different than anybody else. And then all of a sudden, like health problems start arriving. And his family, the family continues in its stupidity. The family continues in its totally banal, you know, like meaningless existence. And yet he, faced now with his own mortality, his own illness, right? He is all of a he, sudden, he's, he's transforming over the course of the rest of the story. And, he, and by the time he dies at the end, and it's with great re- regret about how he lived his life. But nevertheless, there's like a, there's a tshuva there. It's like the secular version of Rabbi Elazer ben Derdaya. Right it's actually it's a, it's really really worth reading um, but it uh, by the end of his life right the, it's a painful tshuva because he doesn't have a chance really to relive his life but but the, the way that he, he he's in a radically different place than the family that's around him mm-hmm. right and, it, it's, and it's all because of the suffering that he's going through With that sentence if it doesn't kill you it'll make you stronger Yeah there, there's a truth to it yeah Exactly right um, so Rabbi Yeshua Bachrach all right, this is about his, yeah, we have to get to your point because you're like uh, it's like you read it. He says, right, he malchut. we ask, why did David why was all the suffering decreed upon him before he becomes king? So I answered, Kilola Malchut bilvad Hashem David. David Hashem didn't just choose David to be a king. Right? There are many kings in Jewish history. David is not just a king, he's much more than a king but that David's soul shall be bound up with the soul of his nation. Lashir Shirat Right? A thousand years you know, before we, we, we were in the exile of Rome, David HaMelech was already singing the songs that we would sing in pain and cry out to Hashem we, with his words when we were going through this exile of Rome. Right? David Amelech wasn't just living for himself, right? He he was the man who lived for all of us. Right, Vilayotu le Right, David HaMelech became the one who sang out, sang the pain of Am Yisrael, and also the one who sang the instrument for for our who expressed our yearnings for redemption and for the Beis Hamikdash. Right, David HaMelech, you know his his fate, his destiny was to be far more than just a king, and that's why he suffered more than any other king. Because only the best of us have, right, have, would go through such a thing. Because what was demanded of him, what was needed of him, was not just to be a good king, right, and to unite and, and to make a capital in Yerushalayim. That's a wonderful thing, which he did. But it was so much more, right? And his suffering is what brought him there. He says, "Uma hayinu What would we be missing? David If David had been made king easily, what would we be missing?" without, like, these extended expectations, right? Because it could have been, right? Remember, Hashem already, Yaakov already blessed Yehuda. The kingdom will come from you. The, the kings will come from Royalty will come from you, right? It, was, it could have just been handed to him. That was the blessing. So, so why did Hashem make Shaul a temporary king first? So that it should be so complicated and difficult for David et David right Hashem, not send Shmuel to anoint David secretly, Kayemet Biado. Right? Had he not done it at such a weird time, while Shaul was still the king, had David not been called before Shaul to play to to play for him, had David not run away from Shaul who goes crazy, as we'll see, we're going to learn about this. Shaul loses his mind, right, and and chases him with very terrible jealousy and hatred. David's life would have been a lot quieter, a lot calmer. Right, without all the sufferings that we read about and that we, we feel pain for him. What would we be missing? Right. right? We would we would have no sefer tehillim. David took one on the chin and everywhere else for all of us. are two points. it seems everything that happened with Shaul. He's. He was anointed king, but he had to learn. This taught him humility. In number one, and number two, everything that he went through, I believe, made him an incredible empath. Yeah, yeah. So, those, with those two, those two items would make a king a great king. That's Empathy right. Empathy and humility. Right, and. It's very rare that a king has that because most kings are kings because their father was a king. King Charles III this week. <laughs> so exactly. So most of most kings are they don't go they don't go through those things. No, well, you know, he's he's had some rough uh, some rough moments also. Rachel, yeah. The line that we most so far tonight is the fact that Schmuel just got up and went. And I'm back in my brain thinking well, what is it about Schmuel's past that might have caused this? Hashem spoke to him while his predecessor Eli was still Kohen. So he also was, mm. in effect, brought into uh, uh, elevated status anticipating his beloved predecessors leaving the scene. Fascinating. He's seen this before. That's very good. Yeah. Right. And that also highlights the point that I was trying to make at the beginning, which is that. How many of us really thought about that? What it was like for Shmuel and Ailey? Mm-hmm. Right? Ailey asks him and presses him, and then Shmuel has to tell him ultimately that God spoke to me. And not only that, what did God tell what did God tell you? Well, things are not gonna your your sons are gonna die, right? Bad things are gonna happen to you. Anyway, right. To You're gonna get punished. Can sorry, you imagine? Momentum, you back, but no, but that's hundred percent right. I'm saying that, that he had to then live like that after telling can you imagine telling that to Eli, your beloved mentor? Yeah. Right? To telling him to, and to, to live through that. Right? So this is, all uh, right. Maybe Shmuel, as he turns away quickly from David, is thinking, I can't believe I'm doing it to him too. Right? Could be. Right? So, so only what we work for, mm-hmm. what we suffer for, becomes truly ours. Right? When we have to battle for something, mm-hmm. it becomes, right, that's when it becomes ours. And, and David, who's the most righteous Jew of all, he also has to suffer, but, but his suffering is a sign of how much Hashem loves him because Hashem has chosen him to be the vessel through which Am Yisrael will live through thousands of years of exile, right? We, right it's David HaMelech is the one who's, who's helping us live. We'll talk about this when we talk about Kiddush Levana, which comes up, which is a very critical part of this whole story. It's all about David HaMelech. The one who gives us hope is David HaMelech, right? He's the one, more so than everybody else. Tamaz, right? The merit of our forefathers is, is, has been used up already. Right? The only one that we have now is David HaMelech. David HaMelech is the one who gives us the strength. Right? But I think there's also right, a deeper reason why David specifically had to suffer in this way more than all the other leaders of Am Yisrael. So look at number 17. <speaking in Hebrew> Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. <speaking in Hebrew> Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Hinei malkeich yavolach tzaddik v'no Right, your king is coming to you. He's a triumphant, he's victorious, and who is he? He's also an ani verochey right? He's poor, he's lowly. He's riding upon a donkey, valayir ben atonot, right? Upon a colt, the, the foal of an ass. Now, it's one of the most famous lines in all of Tanakh that 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 the Messiah will come, right, as a poor like a poor person riding on a donkey. It says the Gemara in Sanhedrin, right? What's the sign of this Messiah? Of this final Mashiach who's coming on the donkey, right? It's it's Yosef beni aniye Halayim. right? He's going to sit among the poor who are suffering from illnesses and wounds and all sorts of terrible things, right? There's it's bound up with Mashiach specifically, is suffering. They have to go together, right? That Mashiach will only come through pain and through suffering, not through great and easy glory, right? not like the crusaders though, the one, that, the one time they came in that was successful at first, they waltz in, right? These like Arabs were totally not ready. You know, they, were, <laughs> they just like trampled everybody, came in immediately, became the kings of Jerusalem. It didn't last, it didn't last very long once the Arabs got their act together, right? They came in strong and they went out with a, with a whimper, the crusades. Right? We, however, our Mashiach, our right, will come with suffering, with pain, with difficulty, but it will end with glory, right? We started, our days begin at night, and end in the day, right? That's how it is for the people of Israel. So David, as the forefather of Mashiach, is laying the groundwork. If this is the final Mashiach, his descendant, who's going to have that life, right, well, David HaMelech is laying the groundwork through his life, right? And it's a path that is indescribably painful. It says Yishaya. Um, right? This is uh, talking all about the Mashiach. A shoot will come out of the the, uh, the stock of Yishai, right? We're talking about the, right? a descendant will come from David. A twig from his roots. The spirit of Hashem will rest on this person. The spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might. And then, And his delight will be in the fear of Hashem. Okay? So, so uh, the, the Gemara says, Amar of takes it totally out of context and says, Shehitino um, mitzvahs v'yisurim. That, that he'll be loaded with mitzvahs and suffering. Kerechayim. Don't, don't read it as viharicho, his delight, but rather as rechayim, his suffering. Okay? The Mashiach will come with a lot of mitzvahs, a lot of unbelievable deeds. Right? There's going to be tremendous heroism and mesiros nefesh at the end of time. Jews doing unbelievable mitzvahs. And we take it, because we're here, I think sometimes we actually take it for granted that we're surrounded by heroes, people who are doing unbelievable mitzvahs all the time, right? I mean, it's like you go to some random hilltop in the Shomron. You never heard of these people before. And these are like, you know, the, the great heroes of, the, of generations, right? And, and our, in the final times, there's going to be unbelievable mitzvahs and there will be unbelievable yisern, unbelievable suffering that go together with right? This is the life of David HaMelech. Right. He's the one who's modeling it for us. Right. And we're meant to learn his story so that we can understand where it's going to end up and how it goes. Right. And he's teaching us, right? This is part of the DNA of the house of David and the DNA of Mashiach. Mashiach is going to be a replay on a grand national scale of the life of David HaMelech. Right. So number 21. Now Boaz says to, right, to Ruth, Right while they're eating, goshi halom Come and eat from the bread. pitech and dip your, your, you know, your bread in the vinegar. So she sits with him and so on. Um, so, so says the Gemara. Rabbi Yochanan says, This is referring it, hinting to David HaMelech, Goshi halom. When when he Boaz says to Ruth, "Come over here," right? That's that it's hinting to David, come. You're going to be king. But then when it says, right, they, Oh, eat some of the bread, Boaz says to Ruth, it's hinting to right, right, To the battles, Lechem and Melchama. It's hinting to the battles that are going to be necessary in order for, for David Hamelech, the great grandson of Ruth and Boaz, to, to become king. And dip your bread in the vinegar. These are the, the sufferings right, that David will have to go through, right, right, this is, right, it's a source after source, when I started looking into this, right, because I was so it's, so, it's such an obvious and fascinating, it's so important, so relevant to us, it's amazing how many midrashim, I've only picked a handful, there's a lot more, we could go, right, but I don't want it to be repetitive, it's, it's really, really, really something, right, this is, this is, from, you know, David's experience from the very beginning, On the one hand, people love him. As we'll see, Yonatan, Shaul's son, loves him. Hashem's spirit rests upon him. It's goshi halom. Come to the malchus. It's yours, David. It's wonderful. And then at the same time, on the other hand, Shaul is his constant enemy. Persecutes him relentlessly. Somehow the good and the bad have to come together. Right? And I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You get the idea. Right? That's David HaMelech. Nothing with David HaMelech is parv. It's either burning hot soup or freezing cold, right? There's nothing in the middle with David HaMelech. Right? It's love and it's suffering all at once. And I think that that is so important for our generation, right? Because we, we really are the generation of David HaMelech. We're not Shlomo. We're not the Beis HaMikdash. We don't yet have... That's the final destination. We're not, we're not there. We are the generation of David HaMelech, right? Which on the one hand, we're in the process of Redemption. The most, right, you know, we we cry on Yom HaAtzmut out of absolute joy, right? Because we're Olim, right? We're not cynical, right? So, we, we we it's amazing, it's incredible, and at the same time, it's indescribable suffering, and they ha, and they live together. We are living the life of David Hamelach, inc- right? As 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 a people, as a, as a generation, it's really extraordinary, right? The life of David is the blueprint for Mashiach. Right, and it's and it, his life is proof that it's not going to come easy. Right, so so why is it so hard, specifically? Right, this time of of redemption. Why did, right? Why is it not just with the time of David, but why is it in our time? Why does it have to be? Why is it necessary? Why is it built in to the DNA? Yes, it will make us better people. All right, I'm willing to give up on that. Let's get rid of the suffering. I'm, I'm willing. I'm fine. David maybe was you know willing to take it on. We don't. I, I mean, I imagine a lot of you are with me. What do we need this for? Well, simply, very simply, just start with that, right? The labor pains, right? They're great things right? They're when you're shifting from one stage to another, from a baby within the womb, right, to a baby outside of the womb. Radical shift, right? The biggest moment of one's life, right, when you actually are born. Right? That's why we care about birthdays. So that, that incredible moment, it, why does Hashem make it so hard? Why does it have to be? Well, this, the quote that you brought a long time ago from Rachod, it doesn't say Yemot HaMashiach, but it could. It certainly could. Because it, it fits in the pattern. It certainly could, yeah. Why it doesn't, not sure. Um, because, well, there it's formulating it differently, right? It's talking about the end goals as opposed to the process. What are the things that require Yusuram? It's these three things, right? It doesn't. But but yes, it could be Olam Haba also is bound up with Mashiach. So, right, th- this is the... The process that we're in. We're moving from the physical king of Shaul Hamelech to the transition of David Hamelech, the suffering of David Hamelech, to the baby being born, which is Shlomo Hamelech. Right? That, that's our process. And Rav Tau, I think, does a very good job of laying it out for us. So let's learn it a little bit together. Number 24. It says, Am Yisrael, asher Shpal, Behashbalat al shanim Right, we've been we've been so lowly and made so lowly in an exile of 2,000 years. And we were separated from all national existence. The feta kamabo idealism. All of a sudden, 100 plus years ago, this insanely idealistic spirit takes hold of much of our people. Right? It, it's incredible how idealistic they were in those early days. Um and and all of a sudden we felt this deep in, internal feeling and a certain, right, an intensity. We must leave the exile. Where does that come from? How did that happen? Right? You find it from the rabbis who are you know it 's like all these early books that they wrote in the 1800s that they started writing separately each one from the other. there's so many, including the ones that we, whose names that are less famous for like Friedland. Right, I mean, it's it just Rav Moa, all these different books that of Kalisher and his friends, Rav of to the to the kids who are totally secular, they're off the path, but they feel I must go. We need to be there, and they dedicate their entire life to it. Right, there was an awakening that happened, an intensity, a passion that came, that we must leave the leave Galut, Ula Ula Israel, and establish a national home in the land of Israel. Right? All of a sudden, there was this faith that we cannot have galut anymore. This new spirit, this consciousness, which, which, is, which is new to the nation, This is a sign of the end, right, of the final days. This internal you know, arousal of, that, that happened with, among you know, the millions of Israel, scattered around exile, how that all happened, right, that's, that is the, uh, right, the revolution that, be, that brought us from exile to the times of redemption. It's the great secret of our time, of our generations, that this happened. Why, why then? Why, how could that possibly, have, I mean, it was so irrational, illogical for it to happen. It was so impossible. Nobody, people, most people couldn't even dream it, but somehow it did, right, they, all of a sudden they felt this burning intensity. This is the main Chiddush of Redemption. And this is the root of all the awesome deeds that have happened ever since since then in the building up of the land, which we're still seeing to our day. The of where the the ingathering of the exiles, and the building up of our national life. Rabbi Yeshua Bikutna says, Rabbi Yeshua Bikutna was one of the early Zionists. Right, I found I, I read him I read him when I when I open up the old 1922 Hamizrahi. He's he's one of the main authors, right? He was at the beginning, and he said, right, now that we see this incredible desire, <speaking> in <Hebrew> with lowly people, average people, holy people, right, the fact that they all have this feeling, <speaking in Hebrew> so we know that we know that the, the spirit of geula is happening. <speaking in Hebrew> Right, from this strength comes all of the amazing deeds of the generation. Mashiach. This is the light of Mashiach. Right. This is the uh, this is the secret light of Mashiach that's beginning to reveal itself through this through this national consciousness uh, and the willingness, the willingness to sacrifice. Right, what we saw over these last few weeks from, from Leo D, right, this like, it, it, it wasn't like a normal response, the way he was talking about how this is part of the sacrifice for the people of Israel. He didn't turn around and say, I should never have left England, but rather, right, quite the opposite. So where does that come from, right? That, that, that's not a normal thing, right? People didn't, don't normally speak that way and don't live that way through much of history. But somehow... Right, people in our generation, right, Giborim in our generation somehow can talk that way, right, and can feel that way, right. That that is a sod Hashem haniglav b'mahalchoa's story. That is a secret of God in His historical process that this is happening now, right? This, right, that the skulata umah matchilad la'nuah, that this inherent awesome greatness of the people, the potential that we were talking about earlier, is now <laughs> is beginning to come to fruition through the sufferings that we're experiencing here. Right, as we are now reliving the life of David HaMelech. But we have to realize that all this is only the first stage, right? And this is as Rav said. Right, the, really, the nation, all the nation, believes it's just not—they're not all believers in in, uh, in in reality yet, right? It's inter- it, the potential is there, but it, ha- it hasn't come to, been expressed yet. Right, So we, we, in order for that amuna that to come from potential to actual, well, we've got quite a process that's going to come. So he says, to mm-hmm. Now we're coming to a new stage. Which won't be like this internal drive that these secular kids in Poland felt in 1910, that I need to go drain swamps in Israel. Why? I don't know if they could have all explained it. Right? But they felt an internal like gut push that we had, they had to come here. But now we're entering a different stage. Right, at a deeper understanding, and awareness, a higher level of 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 Geula, right? We're it's not just something that, that we're driven to without understanding, but rather something right, to the level where that awareness, that consciousness, is explicit, right? The the secular. Um, mode in which we find this drive for the nation in our generation, it cannot last, right? It cannot be. It has to shift to a higher level of consciousness and awareness. Shaul Hamelech in this parable, right, was represents that Chiloni drive. He was holy. He did great things for Am Yisrael, but his awareness was never there. He was always making the wrong decision at the wrong time. He was missing the bigger picture. Shaul didn't have it, and if there's a shift that has to happen from Shaul to David, a David who's constantly aware of what Hashem wants from him and seeking out what Hashem wants from him, right? And sees the bigger picture, as we'll see, you know, as we'll as we'll learn, right? That shift from Shaul to David is a, is a shift that has to happen, right? It's impossible that the ways of the going will continue, that the Jewish people will, will be that way in the land forever. It started that way. It was a very secular country and we see that it's changing, that it's shifting. It's actually a whole generation who's upset at their parents because the parents took away yeah. the Yiddishkeit and now they're, they're yearning for it. Exactly, right? So Because what was happening is, is that you know, they had all these outer trappings that were covering over the, you know, the, right, the, the inner holiness within them. So they have this like sort of shallow, a little bit of a shallower nationalism, right? He talks about here, they have Gargi Rimshel Historia, they can quote a little bit of history and they loved Hebrew, the Hebrew language, right? And then and came up with an Israeli culture, right? In some way, but it's not, it's not Jewish. It's not, it's not deep. It's not Torah. It's not where, where Am Israel needs to end up, what God wants from us ultimately. So this is the shift that has to happen. The shift from Shaul to David and the shift that I think we're seeing happening very painfully now in our generation. The Chiloni the, the way of nationalism, this whole thing that we're living through, it cannot last. It can't be. Any secular idea is only going to be temporary in passing. It doesn't last forever. We see this all the time. Right. And it's amazing how quickly things change in the in the non-religious world, in the secular world about beliefs. Right. What was uh, right. Didn't Obama start off in the White House by saying, we'll never have gay marriage. And by the end. Right. He had like the, the all the colors of the rainbow on the White House without getting into the issue of which one is what's the right way in a place like America, whatever. Putting that aside. That's crazy right, in a couple of years, right, it, it's already passed, right, the, it's the next issue, another thing, and a new idea that'll, that'll seem ridiculous 30 years from now, that's the world, right, I mean, if, if you look back at the 60s, I know some people here lived through them, but if you look back at the 60s, and there was a time that I did this, I was kind of fascinated by it, and you read a lot of the philosophy that was coming out, you're like, they really believe this, like, like, this is what got them so fired up, it's hard to understand, when you're looking at it, you know, 50 plus years later, Right, I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy, right? Because that's the way of the world. When it's not Torah, right, it's something which it cannot last. The Israeli culture, right, of the hora dancing and all of that, which was, you know, they thought that this was it, it was never, it could never last. It was never going to last. And Rav Cook said that it will, there will come a day where it will start to fall apart, and the shift will, will begin to happen. And and Rav Cook said it will not be an easy shift. It will be a painful shift. How did Rav Kook know that? Was he a prophet? I mean, he might have been. I really, really might have been. But even if he wasn't, if he learned Tanakh, he knew that, right? And he certainly learned Tanakh. Rav Kook knew. Rav Kook learned what we're learning and saw this process, what we're going to be learning about in the coming weeks of, of, of moving from Shaul to David and how painful it is. Bechot Kufa, in his last paragraph, he says, In every... Um, time every time in history where you, where you have a a crisis of national conscious consciousness consciousness when it comes to Zionism building up the land with Aliyah katava rav tzedvarima Cook would write these things because he had they had plenty of crises in his time as well he would write these things echa geulahu lechet nigla and he would say how geula goes in this way of you have a moment where it's revealed and everything seems to make sense, and you see Hashem's hand so clearly, and then it's hiding. And then he reveals himself again. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. David Amelech, everybody loves him. Everybody hates him. Everybody loves him, right? It's like ups and downs. David Amelech's life, says Rav Kook, is what, is what this process is going to be, right? Buckle your seatbelt, is what Rav Kook is saying, right? It's not meant to be a smooth ride. This, inset- right? I mean, these protests, right? I, there's nothing, right? There's nothing. Who knows what? Who knows what's going to come next, right? I mean, there's just the beginning potentially, right? There's there's bumps, there's ups and downs. This is the way says R' Cook that it's going to happen. And and the purpose of all these crises are to deepen the foundations of our national service, our national consciousness. All of these things that are happening right now, all the craziness from the two sides back and forth. What is it doing? It's forcing out all of these big, fundamental, deep issues. Painful issues. All of these things are being forced to the forefront. In regular time, okay, people go to, they go to work at Tel Aviv. And by the time you get home, you're tired. You know, you rely help your kids with your homework. You go to sleep. You do another day, right? You're not thinking about the big, right, the big national consciousness issues. It's specifically these crises that Hashem, has placed us in that is going to force us to deepen our national consciousness and understand ultimately who we are and where we're meant to be. Right? And this is, uh, this, I mean, I know, I know we have to stop, but number 25, right, this is the, the Medrash says, la melech tein, your strict judgment is to the king. Right, give your strict judgment to the king, says David. So says the Medrash, Amar david David says to God, Ani mikabela I accept all the suffering upon myself. But please, let be kind to my son, Shlomo. Meaning, I'm taking this upon myself so that my child, my children, the next generation, should not have to suffer in this way. Right? If we see ourselves that way, we don't want this suffering. But if we understand that we are the ones who merit to be David HaMelech, who in a sense is far greater than Shlomo. Shlomo is the one who builds the of Mikdash and he's the final Mashiach. But we, but we don't call the final Mashiach by his name. Right? We, right, we call him Mashiach... Ben David, right? Maybe that's like people who make alias so that their kids, you know, you struggle as olim, so that your kids can have it, it easier. If anyone can understand this, it should be us. Yeah, it should be us. <laughs> exactly, hundred percent. So, I, I want—I just—I apologize because it's Marv now. I assume, right? I, yeah. I think there is still nine o'clock Marv, so I'll, we'll talk after just for a moment. But just to, you know, just to finish, I, I think that. You know, and, and really, this is, as we'll see, this is our role, specifically our community. We, we're caught in this middle place between secular and Haredi, as Rav would talk about, the two sides. The secular side doesn't, can't appreciate the, right, the, the holiness and the beauty of, of Torah. The, Torah right, the other side, the extreme side, struggles to appreciate the beauty and the holiness of, of Tel Aviv and the building up of this land and that, right, they built this land, and it wasn't me and my grandparents, it was them and their grandparents who built this land, and they don't understand and don't value that, and we are the ones who are placed in the middle, and we're going to be at the, epi- we're at the epicenter of the bumps and the ups and downs, in order, right, to, we have to be the ones leading the way to bring Am Yisrael, right, to that final shlav, so it's a, it's a hard place to be, um, but uh, obviously God thinks that we're up to it, so thank you everybody.